the more kilobytes or megabytes you download per web page, the more emissions you fire into the atmosphere, right? So if you have a lot more optimized stuff going on in terms of tech and best practices, it's way better. Hello and welcome to the 25 Days of Transformation series, where we talk to industry experts and global brands about the highs and lows of digital transformation. We'll learn from real-world business examples, get first-hand industry insights from the digital experts, and we'll take a deep dive into what trends to look out for in the coming months. I'm Tizzy Philp, Strategic Content Lead here at Valtech, and I'm here to guide you through these conversations and to uncover the latest and greatest in digital. Whether it's fashion, food, or travel, the concept of sustainability is never far from our conversations. As humanity becomes increasingly conscious of how and what we consume, businesses and brands are having to respond to new consumer demand for environmentally friendly options. What people don't tend to talk about, ironic considering the industry we're in, is the carbon footprint of our online activity. Perhaps it would surprise you to know our internet usage globally is directly comparable to the carbon emissions of the airline industry, approximately 1.5 billion tonnes of greenhouse gases per year. The next question then is what can we as an industry do to make things better? Today I'm joined by Tim Benix, Head of Front End Development in Paris here in Valtech. Tim has written and presented on this topic for the last couple of years and is leading the charge when it comes to sustainable or green development choices. Here to explain what it means in principle and why it's important for brands to take serious note of. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm super happy to be here. And what an amazing intro. It sounded so official. I love it. First of all, can you help us to get our heads around some of these stats and figures? How is our online activity expending that much energy across the world? Well, I think for us to be able to understand, like also those numbers you just mentioned, we kind of need um, like models to figure out what those numbers actually mean, right? So there's been a lot of research recently, actually um, from the UK mainly, um, on what it means like when you visit a web page what does that actually mean in in terms of carbon emissions and then um, there's a lot of research on like what one page means and then what does it mean when you have an average let's say of 10,000 page visits and then they have calculated that into the emissions number in kilograms and the staggering numbers are that kind of I would say four years ago every web page would have about four grams of CO2 emissions. And that's a huge number. And actually, we have done a lot on performance because it's good for sales, right, if you have good performance. So right now, we are sitting at around 1.76 grams. But that's still, if you have 10,000 visits um, a month, that's still 211 kilograms of CO2 emissions. And then imagine how many websites we have and how many trees that takes to actually absorb all of that. It's, it's crazy. And you know what? Um, two months ago, the US was literally on fire. We need to take some action here. And the interesting part about this subject in technology is that we as technologists or agencies, we can actually do a whole bunch about this. 
But we just have to think about it and make our clients aware of the implications. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, because to be honest, Tim, before you started talking about it, I knew very little about it. And I think that's the same for a lot of people. I've jumped on your bandwagon totally. And every time I get an opportunity to talk about it, I do. And people have the same response time and time again. You know, I had no idea. It seems to be this guilty secret that no one talks about. So it's really encouraging to know that there is something we can do. But what do we need to be looking at to remedy the situation? How can businesses realistically make a difference? There's a lot of stuff you can do, but let's scope it a little bit to the technology side of things because that's where I am most aware of things and most capable. Because of course, there's so many choices you can make to be carbon neutral, right? These kind of things as a company. But actually, let's let's stay a bit in the tech side of things. And let's just think about, let's say, an e-commerce website, right? And there are, in my opinion, three parts to this discussion where we can really make a difference as an agency building these e-commerce systems for clients or the clients themselves, obviously, if they have internal teams. And the one and most important one is actually UX and design, right? So the user experience side. And what I mean by that is, if you are spending a lot less time on a website, a lot, a lot less uh, emissions are being emitted, right? So if your design is great and people can just find what they are looking for, it's so much um, better for the environment, right? And then you also have other things like um, development best practices. Like the more kilobytes or megabytes you download per web page, the more emissions you fire into the atmosphere, right? So if you have a lot more optimized stuff going on in terms of tech and best practices, it's way better. And then, of course, there's kind of the elephant in the room when we talk about architectural choices of the platforms of those e-commerce systems, right? Because um, just think about Apple iCloud or... Netflix, they all are served from huge server farms and they all have a lot of emissions. So there are green hosters out there. There are green cloud hosters out there. And the funny thing is they are clearly not green because, you know, those big server parks, they have a lot of stuff that needs to happen power-wise to keep them safe, to keep them cold. So what they tend to do is like Apple says, in our buildings, we are carbon neutral. So that means we can be a bit more dirty, shall we say, with our cloud systems. So some companies don't care about this at all and others do. And so this is also an interesting part in like choosing your partners. And then there's yet another thing about architecture, but we'll probably get into that later a little bit. Is like, how do you build these applications? Because the traditional approach is generally there are one or two big suites that we use. And as a suite, I mean, it's one piece of software that deals with a lot of things, but they tend to be on at all times, right? Even if you don't use a certain part, that thing is still running. And there's a lot of new technologies and modern approaches to this, where if you don't use something, it just turns itself off, goes to sleep. And so then you don't pay for it, but it also doesn't emit any energy or doesn't use any energy. So that's, that's the, the biggest one, I would say. But it's also the hardest to do when you work in enterprise like us. We've hit a bit of a contradictory element here because we're a digital agency. We work with huge global brands and we talk all the time about delivering exceptional customer experiences. That's the priority aim for so many of these companies at the moment. 
And then we have this message about wanting to strip things back, strip back the unnecessary elements of the design or the UX. Can we really implement these processes or these changes to our tech stacks and make those changes without impacting the user experience? Is it really possible to have the best of both worlds? I think you it won't be 100% because the best websites would then be black and white and nobody would be happy, right? So we always have to find some sort of a middle ground. So you can first, of course, start by defining what is an exceptional user journey. In my personal opinion is I search something in Google, gets the first hit, I go to the product page, I click buy and I'm gone. That is my personal best experience. On the other hand, if you look at it from, let's say, the L'Oreal perspective, they tend to want to tell a story about that lipstick that you just found, right? So they want you to be online, exploring that page, looking at the videos, doing a, a tutorial, then go and, you know, explore all the other lipsticks. So they have a quite a different approach to it. And so we need to find a middle ground that doesn't impact the end user. The best way to go about that is to go this architectural route that we just discussed or looking into like development best practices that try to not impact the user experience as much. For example, um, something we call lazy loading. If you have like all these big websites nowadays, when you click on the menu, it has like a big flyout with a lot of content in it. We call these mega menus. You know, most of the time people don't click on those mega menus because they already found where they want to go on Google generally. So if you have a bunch of content in those mega menus from images to videos or whatever, we've seen everything, just don't load it until someone clicks on it, right? Those are those simple things that sound simple but are hard to implement that we can do to kind of do a little trick so people don't notice we're doing a lot of trickery, but we actually do. And those are some sort of shortcuts, right? So it is possible to build in these practices as standard when people are developing websites. I cannot remember when I not did that in the last five years on every project. And of course, there's a range. Like some architecture decisions are made for you due to contractual things or maybe um, the stakeholders on the brand side might not be as mature just yet and they're looking at different business goals. That's things like that. Generally, it's a governance issue but you know within that scale um, if you look at what we did for example for Garnier which is a really famous brand that it's in almost every supermarket nowadays they used to have a homepage that loaded in 20 seconds and now they have a homepage that loads in two seconds and so we reduced a lot of bloat it actually looks better it functions better it's easier to find on Google and we have a whole host of extra technical features in there that you might not notice now but things like when you go offline it still loads because we cached it like and there's all these extra little things that we put in just as a default because this is what we do at Valtech we are kind of like high level thinkers we work in the slow steady quality department shall we say which means we have a bunch of governance on all of those subjects the same goes for things like accessibility and we really think deeply what would the end user need and then from there, we kind of make our user stories. That's what we call like our tasks to do. And then we talk to our client and say, this is what we call a trade-in and trade-out. In this sprint, you can have five stories. Choose which ones. And 
the ones that we think are super important, we tend to put on the top and then you work with your client and then you mature both teams, right? You, you learn as Faltech about your client and what their business needs are. But we also teach those brands to really keep in mind, okay, accessibility and SEO are super important because then it's much easier to find a product and buy it faster, but it's actually also great for sustainability. Okay, let's go into it a little bit deeper then. We mentioned earlier on about new modern architectures. So what about these huge global companies with monolithic tech stacks? How does the idea of green development sit alongside new approaches to modern architecture principles like Mac or composable architectures? I think the kind of the winning part of these composable architectures is, is that they are just more flexible. Right, So you're choosing the best of breed for each thing that they do. So in this talk, we don't have to talk about what they do or why they are best of breed, but the fact that they are in fact smaller in scope and then they are composed together in a greater whole, that means we have orchestrational power. So come Christmas, you have, let's say people start to use your wish list all the time. We've seen this with a bunch of clients, right? And in our older monolithical approach, we couldn't just scale the wish list. We would have to scale the whole system. So the whole system would then be on multiple servers, able to handle multiple requests, but it, it consumes a lot of power because maybe the search functionality wasn't used as much. So when you have a composable architecture, you just go to the company that says, hey, you're hosting our wish list, right? Can you just increase like sixfold next week? And then you will only increase that bit and you're only paying more in currency and in energy, let's say, to that little part. And you know what the funny thing is? The end user also has a better experience because that wish list just works like before, but they don't have to know that it's like six times increased in scale. And so it's truly the flexibility. It's, it's kind of also it's a drawback or downfall because it's very hard to orchestrate all of this. So you kind of need to be a senior team to deal with all of it. But in terms of sustainability, it's, it's a lot better, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. But let's talk a little bit more about when you say you need to be a senior team to be able to deal with it. A lot of people listening to this podcast might then go, oh, God, it's going to be a bit of a turnoff for them because there's going to be too much involved. What advice or reassurance could you give to them on that front? It's all about having overview of your ecosystem, shall we say. So the more overview you have, the easier it is to oversee the things that are happening. But if you don't have that just yet and you're just starting with something, you might want to go with a monolith and say, because there are other people that have thought about this for me that made a whole suite of tools that just deal with it for me. And then over time, I might understand multiple parts of it. And then I might want to go to another architecture like a composable one because i've noticed oh geez our images are not being served in an optimal way i kind of want to go to a best of breed here so the moment you get more overview when you understand your architecture you can also hire the right people to put on the place of this orchestration bit and i'm talking about this orchestration bit because we have for example let's say a jamstack approach which means we don't do all the dynamic stuff that we do nowadays on every page load, but we actually do all the complicated stuff on the build step. And by build step, I mean, I have all my code combined. I hit a button and it compiles into the final website. 
there's multiple ways to do this. And in Jamstack, it does all the dynamic stuff, all the data fetching, all the stuff like that on the build. And then it becomes basically a 1990s website, completely static that we can then put on the CDN. To actually understand how this thing flows and where all the complex stuff needs to go, it just requires overview of understanding where all the pieces fit and how they communicate. And the moment you have that, you have become automatically more senior because you have understood what you're doing. And then it's also much easier to tell your client why. Do you think that there are enough companies building websites with sustainability in mind at the moment? Is it a case of just not being aware of what's going on here or the impact on the environment that our activity is actually having? Well, I think it's that's definitely going to have to be a no. But that doesn't mean it's good or bad or anything. It's just imagine three, four years ago, the accessibility thing or the GDPR thing. Nobody thought of that because it's already hard enough building a website, right? If you are L'Oreal Paris and you have to release to 60 markets that all want something else and you're pulling your hair out trying to actually get it to just run, imagine all those other things you have to think about. So it also takes a bit of time to get there. And now when you look at all L'Oreal websites, they all have great accessibility. It takes a bit of time. And there's also another part of this that actually complicates things. And that's also a little bit of like an undertone in this, hey, let's go Jamstack and let's do these um, composable architectures because we just have CDNs where you put stuff, right? It's also about like how simple it is to use because, for example, take my website. I build that as a Jamstack website, so it's statically rendered. I put it on a CDN and it goes all around the world. And then when I ask the guys that run the CDN, yeah, but how is your sustainability? Because my website is awesome, right? It has very little CO2 emissions, but you are running some sort of enormous enterprise with all these servers all around the world. Tell me about your plans for this. You know what? They couldn't. So it's a bigger story here. So we can say yes to this question, but maybe the other guys are saying no because their business goals are different. And yeah, so... That's a yes and a no answer. How about that? Tim, if you could leave a legacy on this topic, what do you think it would be? Well, I would say there, it's twofold. Number one is it is end user first, but end user might also be your content editor or your copywriter, right? It's so things should really work well for everybody. And that comes with having something I call helicopter view. So helicopter view is that you have an overview of the ecosystem you're putting in place and knowing why you chose that. If you choose a monolith, there are certain reasons why you have done that and they're probably legitimate ones, but at least understand why you chose it and why something is good or not good for the environment and take that hit once you get the question. So I would love my legacy to be is just educate people about taking control of that ecosystem or at least over their choices of why they made it. Don't just go with the flow, but actually understand the stuff that you're doing. I've done that a lot also with accessibility. And um, this is just my new one. And it's all about, again, overview making sure people are aware of what they're choosing and not just like running with it because it's so easy to use. Tim, thank you so much for giving us some insights into all of this. Again, I'm sure it's something a lot of people won't even have considered. So if we can make some small steps to getting people within our industry talking about this topic, 
then we will have done something extremely worthwhile. Thank you again for speaking to us and good luck with everything. Thanks very much. It was really, it was my pleasure. If you are still listening this far in, thank you. And maybe visit my YouTube channel because I have a bunch of videos all around these topics, not per se about sustainability, but also around all those architecture choices that I spoke about. So um, it might be worthwhile. And of course, have a look at the Valtech website because we have, a, we have so much stuff on there as well. Anyways, that was my plug. Um, thank you very much, Tissy, for this. You've been listening to the 25 Days of Transformation series from Valtech Cafe. If you enjoyed this podcast, then why not subscribe and keep up to date with all of the episodes in this series and a whole host of insights from the Valtech Cafe back catalogue. And if you'd like more information about what we do or to get in touch, why not visit us at valtech.com to find out the details. Until next time, thanks for listening.